Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This is a special message from our financial learning experience. Brian Bulmer, our Director of Discipleship and Missions, walks through how we can be successful with our finances. Listen as Brian explains simple biblical principles we can all put into practice. Hey, good evening. Thank y'all for taking your time on a Sunday afternoon away from your resting and come and join us. Hopefully you got a little food. I figured if you ate before you came, this is like your snack after your meal. And if you haven't eaten, it's to tide you over to you can go eat afterwards or whatever you decide to do this evening. Um, I want to start off with my testimony because a lot of times if you're like me, you don't like people telling you stuff if they have no basis to tell you um, stuff. And so I want to give you a little bit of my testimony. Um, basically, my first two years of college, my parents paid for, which was really awesome. And I had a little part-time job and my other expenses were met because they also kind of gave me like an allowance that paid enough for my rent. And so I spent money like it was water the first two years of college. A little girl um, that dated me at the time had a really nice life. Um, We'd go out to eat all the time. We'd go see movies at night all the time. Um, We lived just high on the hog. Um, my freshman year of college, I went to a great thing called Beach Reach, met some kids from a school in Missouri called Southwest Baptist University. They just were incredible people, and I wanted to hang out with them some more. So my junior year of high school, I transferred, or junior year of college, sorry, I transferred out to there, and that's when I discovered debt. Um, because private school is not cheap. This is um, it's called Southwest Baptist University. It's a great school. You should all send your kids there if you can afford to. Um, but you're much better to keep them in state if you can't. But anyways, that's a different story for a different time. But I went there for those two years and I began to rack up debt like crazy. And my parents were doing it because the interesting thing about that debt is that I couldn't get it because I didn't have enough experience to get it but my parents could get it for me, which is a little messed up because then you start the real world in debt through money that you couldn't have afforded to have gotten anyways. But that's a different story for a different time. And I didn't really understand what was going on other than I had enough money to get through school. But I knew sooner or later, somebody's gonna have to start paying for this. And they even like took out loans to help with school from like other places. And I had no clue what was going on. But I began to get worried as I went to graduate that I'm gonna have money that I need to pay back. And I have no clue how that's going to take place. Well, a nice thing that happened to me is I decided to go straight from college to seminary, which you can defer your loan. So that makes life easier. Of course, the nice people, the loans that I got, your interest still built um, during those three years, which is something else that I didn't know about through the type of loan that I had. So that began to accrue interest. And I began thinking about my debt and I started reading books. And um, back when I was in seminary, which is about the mid nineties, Larry Burkett was very, very popular. And so I started reading a book on debt from Larry Burkett. And um, which was great, told me that I shouldn't be in debt, but it never really told me anything about how to get out of debt. And so I was like, well, this is great. This is exciting. And and the reason why I started reading your book, Larry, is because I I knew that I was in debt and I knew that I shouldn't be in debt. So that, you know, wasn't a problem for me. It's kind of like, you know, when you go to the doctor and he gives you a list of things you shouldn't do to get what you have. You're like, that's why I came to you because I know this causes this or I wouldn't have shown up in the first place. Um, so anyway, so I started working and, and um, after seminary, I moved to Virginia and started my job. And the um, people who we had these loans through decided that it was time for them to start collecting their money. And they started sending me bills 
um, for my college, which was not very nice of them, but they chose to do that anyways. And it was a lot of money. Um, two years at a private college is not cheap. Uh, even though they'll give you all kinds of scholarships and make you think that it is, it is not cheap. And so I was like, what on earth? And then two, you know, you got to establish credit. And so I'd done some things like I had bought some beds and did them 90 days, same as cash. You know, in order to establish credit, what do you need to do, right? Everybody thinks you need to go and get credit cards. So when I moved there, I got credit cards, but I would pay them off every month. So I figured, hey, I'm doing really good. I pay off my credit cards out of the school debt, but also you need a car, right? And so my parents had given me a car, but when I got out of seminary, I needed and, you know, a little bit more reliable transportation. Um, and so then you get a car. Well, the only way you can get a car is to have a loan, right? I mean, what, don't, isn't that what we all agree with? So you had to get a loan for that. So now I'm looking at having car debt, I have school debt. Um, I'm renting with somebody, so that made that a little bit cheaper. But then you have credit cards on top of that. Funny thing with my Discover card is that they um, didn't send a payment one time. But guess who got penalized for them not sending the payment one time? I got penalized for not sending the payment, they, them not sending the payment one time. And my interest rates went up on my credit card and I got hit by a nice penalty, which I thought was really, really nice of them to do to me because they're the ones who didn't send it. And I called and argued and fussed with them and they finally kind of relinquished a little bit. But that's how I thought you lived life, um, you know, in doing those things and participating in those things. When I moved down here, um, a church up the road, um, offered a simulcast one day of Dave Ramsey simulcast and, and about your money and stuff. I was like, well, I'll go check this out, see what it's about. I think it was like 35, 45 bucks. Um, and I'll tell you, the reason why we charged you 15 bucks to be here tonight is because we've learned if you don't pay anything for stuff about finances, you tend to not do anything with it. Um, if you offered a class on finances for free, you might have a lot of people show up, but the vast majority will walk out and do absolutely nothing with it. Um, and so that's why we wanted to charge a little bit, feed you some, give you a book, promise you you got all your money back. Um, but if you don't charge something, people tend not to walk away with anything. So that's why we did that. But I went, was a part of that simulcast, and it really got me thinking um, and just learn a little bit more about money. And we'll go over, actually, Dave will share some of those principles with you in a little bit. But it really just got me thinking about wanting to make changes and stuff like that. And so I was like, well, I think that we can do this. And at the time, Katie and I were um, dating. That's my wife. She's kind of towards the back over there on this side over here. But anyways, um, and we, were, we were dating and I was sharing that with her. And we were you know, kind of working towards getting married. And we were like, well, you know, I think we could do this. And so we started kind of, you know, planning in our own separate lives. She was really good. She walked out of college with no debt. Um, I think a lot thanks to Hope, but her car was paid off. Um, and so my car that I had was paid for at the time, but Memorial Weekend um, of that year, which has been a while. Do you remember what year that was, Katie? It's been a while, about six years ago, seven years ago, maybe, about seven years ago. Um, there was a drunk driver who um, hit a lady who was also drunk walking alongside the road. And when she hit the lady who was drunk walking alongside her road, she yanked her car the other way. And so she proceeded to hit my car, um, spun me the complete opposite direction um, with my car on the side of the road, um, going with the flow of traffic that was going away from me and her truck going down into a ditch. Um, but anyways, um, from there, now my car was deemed totaled. And so here we are saying, we're not going to get into debt. We're not going to do these things. And my car was totaled. And so I went to get a new car or a newer car. And, uh, <clears throat> and we went back into debt um, from that 
episode and from that experience. But that is the last debt that I've ever had um, besides our house. So let me qualify that for a second. But that was the last debt that we intentionally had, and we ended it there. Um, let me ask you something that's not to make you feel bad, because the vast majority of you probably will, unless I know at least one family has been through FPU with me, and they may hesitate to raise their hands, but they have them. They won't hurt my feelings. But raise your hand if you have a credit card. Raise your hand. Awesome. Very good for you. Okay. Um, raise your hand if you have loans besides your house. Be proud. Ah. Very good, very good. All right. Well, when we began this experience, Katie and I did, and when we got married, um, here's what began to take place for us. We began to work very hard to get out of debt. And you're going to learn some principles tonight. And here's the thing about tonight that you need to understand is that you're going to learn some great principles. You're going to learn some biblical things to do. We're going to walk you through some steps. And it's all great information, but if you do nothing with it, it won't matter. We've just taken up two hours of your life and it won't matter. But I promise you these things work and I promise you the things I'll tell you are true, are true. And you're gonna think that nobody does it that way. This isn't possible. Oh, but I need this. And oh, you can't take this away from me. Or oh no, it just doesn't work that way. But we were living proof. Um, Katie and I have not owned a credit card in over six years. So if you walk out here tonight and you're saying, I have to have a credit card in order to make it. That's not true. You don't have to have a credit card. Um, Katie and I put a third down on our house when we bought it because we saved up. So we didn't have to deal with an 80-20 um, loan. So we didn't have to worry about a 20% loan. We put down our house has never been under because of the, we bought, we had the joy of buying our house at the height of the bubble. So we were probably one of the last people to buy a house right before that thing popped and everything um, crashed down. But we've never had our house worth less um, than what we paid. And we, um, interesting thing about our house as we were building in those principles was that we, we started getting kind of house fever and we began looking at houses and there was a house in that neighborhood that we really liked, but they wanted more than what we wanted to pay. And so we, um, we kind of had our limits set and we had reached the max of our max of our max on this house that we were going to buy. And the people would not go. And their seller was a very shrewd um, real estate agent. They're like, oh, we got another seller or another buyer. No problem. We'll just leave them aside and we'll just go off in this direction. And so they called us and they said, you know, no way do we want to sell it to you for this amount. Um, and they were trying to convince us the whole time. Even our agent, they were like, they were like, they were basically $1,000 in between what we were willing to pay at our max of our max and what they were offering, and we would not budge. And so our agents were like, well, look, we'll give you $1,000 cash. I'm like, we're pitting a third down. We don't need $1,000 cash. We're pitting a lot more down than that. We could just keep $1,000 if that was the problem. But we would not budge. It frustrated our real estate agent. She's like, over the life of your loan, that's not even that much money. I was like, I know, but we're at the max of our max of our max. We're not doing this. And so they all thought that we were crazy, but we stuck to our guns, and that deal went dead. Um, the next day, the house that we live in now came up for sale. Um, it had the floor plan like we wanted it to be, and it had a price that fit a lot better in our budget than this other house that we were looking at. We bought that house for the price that we wanted to buy a house for. Um, extremely happy with it. We had some friends um, who we're still friends with to this day buy the other house just out of freak coincidence. We didn't meet them until after they bought the house. And about a month into that house, they had major roof problems over their porch that they had to get fixed. So if we would have bought that house, we would have been $1,000 over our max plus. We would 
other than spending a couple of thousand dollars on getting our roof fixed. Um, so it's like God protected us from that house by honoring him with these principles um, that you'll hear Dave Ramsey talk about tonight and hear me talk a, a little bit more about before we get to him. Um, one of the things that's too, that's important for me to you, for you to understand about this um, is that we tithe through all of this. And so as we were getting out of debt, we tithe because that is positioning God first and honoring him because it's not our money to begin with, but we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, our last car that we paid, which is Katie's car, a little CRV that you see outside, we paid cash for it. So we have zero um, loans on cars. Like I said, the only loan that we have is our house. That's the only loan that we have. Um, and we're about halfway done with it, and we're looking at refinancing that soon to where we'll only have 10 years left. And I was talking to a guy about it the other day, and he was like, well, I'm used to doing 30 loans, not, you know, 10-year loans, so it's kind of a whole new ball game. But houses get really cheap if you can at least do a 15-year loan as far as your loan amount, and they're even better if you can do 10%. Um, or, so just keep that in mind, or 10 years, sorry. Um, and like I said, we've had no... Um, We've had no credit cards for the last six years, six, seven years, um, and it has not affected us negatively in one way. Everything you can do with a credit card, you can do with a debit card. But I want to introduce you to um, Dave Ramsey because literally all those skills, all those abilities that we got to do that, we learned from Dave. Um, there is open source material. What I mean by open source is that you can get this material for free. Um, you might want to write this down because this is just kind of the first installment of this, but you can get it at... Um, lifechurch.tv and if you go to open source or some sort of thing like that it's open something or another in there um, you can watch the other two videos of this for free um, from there it's completely free for you to download or you can kind of watch it um, through them if you want to the other two after this one but this as your sheet says and it's kind of that um, dark sheet on the front page and, and I kind of did it that way so you could tear it off because the other stuff that we'll deal with here in a minute um, is kind of for you um, as well we're not going to refer too much back to this other than things I share with you afterwards we'll kind of fall back on what Dave has said and you'll kind of hear me share a little bit about what he said but um Dave will share just a bit of his testimony in here and stuff like that. But Dave was um, a millionaire and then he went completely broke in real estate. Um, and then he began to work these principles. And the amazing thing about these principles, if you've ever heard his radio show, he'll talk about these are the principles that your grandparents used. And it's so very true because like Katie's grandparents, um, when they bought their house, they paid for it all outright at one time. Um, I think they've pretty much always paid cash for their cars and different things like that. So it's just amazing. But these principles have been around. We've just been taught that they don't exist anymore, um, just like we've been taught a few other things. But we'll kind of talk about those in a minute. But um, Brandon's going to start the video for us, and I want you to watch Dave as he pre presents these um, crucial um, ideas for you as far as biblical finance goes. That's cool. You guys are awesome. You're awesome. Well, I am so honored to be here. This is an incredible opportunity to get to share with you today and share with the folks all around the world through this process that Craig and his team has put together. It is an amazing thing to step back and see what God is doing all around the world. I get to travel a lot and see a lot of this kind of stuff, and it's, man, it's happening out there. You don't see it on the news, but it's happening out there. It's happening. And I get to travel to places like this and get to see people like you. And we're going to talk a little bit about money today. You know what I found out about money? Money's fun. <laughs> if you got some. 
You know, and, and you know, the other thing I found out about money is most people, well, aren't doing real good. You know, I mean, if you've made big time mistakes with money, you know what that makes you? Over 12. <laughs> most people have. How many of you ever done something stupid? Raise your hand. Yeah, man, I how many of you didn't raise your hand have a problem with lying? I mean, it's a real deal out there. It's easy to fall over in this money thing. And the weird thing is we all think everybody else is the one that has got it together and we're the only stupid ones. The devil has lied to us. He's told us this shame and guilt story about ourselves and, and made us believe it. When I went broke 20 years ago and lost everything and had to start completely over, I believed I was the only one that had ever done something that stupid. That completely out of control. And I, I did go broke. I've got a PhD in DUMB. <laughs> I am fully qualified to teach this stuff. I started with nothing and grew up not rich. I mean, you guys grew up not rich. I grew up not rich and I, I, I remember graduating from college, broke, and married my beautiful wife, Sharon. We started off broke. We were eating off a card table, driving a 1902 Pinto. Now, you remember how you start out. You know what I'm talking about. We ain't got money, honey, but we got love. <laughs> and it's a good thing, too, because we ain't got no money. And uh, I started buying and selling real estate. This was back in the 80s, 20 years ago. And I was pretty good at it. I'm kind of a math nerd, and I grew up in the real estate business. And by the time I was 26 years old, I had a little over a million dollars in real estate net worth, $4 million in real estate, making $250,000 a year. It was fun. We were having a blast. You know, sometimes I hear these people say, all those rich people are miserable. Uh-uh. <laughs> now, I'm not here to tell you money's going to make you happy, and I'm not here to tell you it makes you a good Christian or any of that kind of stuff. That's not my gig. It's not what I do. I don't have enough hair to teach that material. But the, uh, the truth is, that the, the thing is that, that I have found, though, is, is that as we made all of that money... It didn't fix our lives. It just made us more of who we already were. The moral of the story is if you get rich and you're a jerk, you just become a colossal jerk. <laughs> if you get rich and you have a big heart, they call you a giver and they give it a big long name, a philanthropist. If you get rich, you become more of what you are as you build wealth. So be careful of what you are. We learned that on the way up and we learned it on the way down. Because I'd borrowed too much money and the bank got sold to another bank and they called our notes. <laughs> Step up on this rug and we will pull it. <laughs> and I went, yes, that's me. <laughs> Young and stupid. And I did it. And they called our notes. Not because we had done anything wrong. Not because we'd done anything illegal or immoral. They freaked out. Bankers freak out sometimes. Have you all noticed? And um, we spent the next two and a half years of our life losing everything we owned. We were sued and foreclosed on. And finally, with a brand new baby and a toddler and a marriage hanging on by a thread, we were bankrupt. This stuff will mess with your marriage, won't it? Number one cause of divorce in North America today, money fights and money problems. Number one thing people fight about in their marriage is money. Well, we did. Sharon would have left, but she just didn't have the money. 
I mean, we fought, baby. We didn't get a divorce. We held on to each other, but sometimes it was just to get a better grip. Y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> She's from the hills of East Tennessee. Frying pan throwing there is an Olympic event. <laughs> and we hit bottom. <laughs> I was on one of these news stations. I do all this TV work these days, and one of these talking heads asked me the other day, so, 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 so you, you started with nothing, and you became a millionaire, and then you lost everything, and now you're a multimillionaire, so how did you bounce back? I was like, dude, when you fall that far, you really don't bounce. It's more of a splat. I sat around and blamed everybody else. You ever blame everybody else when you do something stupid? It's kind of a problem in our culture today, you know. Turns out McDonald's does serve hot coffee. <laughs> so, you know, I, I sat there, and, and the weird thing was is I do everything backwards. I, I didn't grow up in church, and I met God on the way up. Most people meet him, you know, at the bottom of their mess, right? But I met him on the way up. I got to know him on the way down. It'll teach you. This thing called pain... It'll make you open a Bible. See, I've got all these letters and licenses and things after my name that says I'm supposed to know something about money. And there I sat, broke. No money. And then this guy told me the Bible had some stuff to say about money. And I went, really? Okay. I'll try that one. Mine didn't work. And I started studying people like Larry Burkett and Ron Blue and many of the other great writers in Christianity around the world that have opened the scriptures for us on this subject and I discovered this really easy stuff. It's easy to understand, and it works every time, but it's really hard to do. Because biblical finance, like so many other things, personal finance, the, the attributes and things you need in your life to be able to win with money, well, it's about 80% behavior. It's only about 20% head knowledge. Most of you know what to do. You're just not doing it. You're like me. The problem with my money is this idiot I shave with. <laughs> the guy in my mirror is my issue. If I can get him to behave, he can be skinny and rich. <laughs> so the stuff we're going to talk about out of the Bible, it's not like hard to understand. It's devastatingly easy to understand. You're going to be going, oh, good, I had a V8. It really does work that way. It's pretty easy stuff. So, you know, we're going to write some of this down and we're going to think about it as we go. I want to cover five of the basics of biblical finance. Some of the first things I learned, and I still believe they're probably the most important things I've ever learned in my life about money. And I have learned a lot about money over the years. But this stuff, if you do these five things, it works every single time. It'll take some time. Now, if you're looking for easy, it's not going to work. We don't sell microwaves here. We sell crockpots. It's going to take a while. You've got to cook it a while, but it'll taste better. Have you noticed most things in your spiritual life are that way? They're not instantaneous. You don't get this, and all of a sudden you're a perfect husband. Didn't work that way. No, took 27 years and still not even close to the word perfect. I'm working on the P part still. But, you know, it's a process, isn't it? And this thing called money is the same exact thing. But to the extent you and your family will engage in these five activities, you will win with money. First thing you want to do if you want to win with money is you need to learn to get out of debt. Get out of debt. Now, that's pretty basic stuff. No kidding, Dave. That's a great idea. But, you know, the, the truth is debt equals risk. 
I have done detailed research, in-depth research, and I have found out that 100% of the foreclosures occur on homes with a mortgage. <laughs> Debt equals risk. The way the Bible says that, it says the borrower is slave to the lender. You ever felt that way? Oh, I felt that way. I know what that feels like. It's called less than fun. You know, slaves don't have any options. They have to do what they're told. They put bumper stickers on their car that says, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. <laughs> they're stuck. Slaves have to keep a job they hate because they've got to pay the bills. Slaves aren't really generous people either. It's hard for them to give. It's hard to give when you can't hardly just pay the bills that you owe. Got a lot of masters in your life. It's hard to serve two masters, Jesus said. You hearing the Bible ringing through this? It's there. It's hard to live like this. When all the money comes in and all the money goes out and only the names are changed to protect the innocent. Your checkbook sounds like a wind tunnel. Straight through. And one old boy said, I just want direct deposit to the grocery store. It all goes over there anyway. Car payments fleeced your car. You got master card. Who named that anyway? You discovered bondage or American distress. It's real, isn't it? It's real. People got a student loan that's been around so long they think it's a pet. But what would it be like to have no payments? What would it be like to make the decision that I'm going to get completely out of debt. You know, I got rid of my credit cards after I went broke. Number one, they took them. <laughs> but number two, I never went back and got them again. Because, you know, I got to talking to millionaires. And I've never, I've talked to thousands of millionaires in my life. I have never met a millionaire who said, Dave, you know, I made it all with my Discover points. <laughs> Those airline miles, that was my breakthrough financial moment. I have never heard that, and yet I have met with hundreds of thousands of families who have been less than blessed by these things, to the point you could even say they were cursed. Well, you can use them responsibly. Well, yeah, you can use a lot of stuff responsibly. It's stupid. And that's your rationalization. I have debit cards, one on my business, one on my personal account, and it turns out they do everything your credit card will do except put you in debt. The only problem is you have to have the money. You can't buy stuff you don't have. We'll get to that in a minute. So we just said goodbye to Home Depot. See you later, J.C. Penney's. Buy Sears. We'll have to buy your tools at the flea market. <laughs> Victoria's Secret. <laughs> they take cash. It's okay. It's okay. And so we went about the business of having plastic surgery. A plastectomy, if you will. And you know, the weird thing is, if you don't have any payments, breathe that in for just a second. What if you didn't have a car payment? You know, the average car payment in America today is $478 over 84 months. If you take $478 and invest that in a decent growth stock mutual fund from age 30 to age 70, you'll have $5.6 million. Hope you like the car. <laughs> You're trapped by buying stuff you don't need with money you don't have to impress people you don't really like. Because there you sit in that $600 car payment at the stoplight going. <laughs> just impress somebody you'll never meet. That cost you a thousand bucks just then. 
You've got to make a decision how you're going to live. And I figured this out to be true. When we went broke, the borrower truly is slave to the lender. And I decided I wasn't going to live that way anymore. And I drew a line in the sand and I said, I'm done. I've got to tell you, it means you don't get to do some things that you really want to do. But it turns out if God wants you to do something, he'll send you the money. Shut up. <laughs> Quit your whining. Really, because that's what debt is. It's financial whining, isn't it? I want it. It's <laughs> exactly what it is. And then you use these sophisticated words and language and intellect to completely rationalize it. And it feels all good to you. And everybody looks at you as going, you are so stupid. You look good, but you are dumb. And that's what's going on. And it's going on all around the world right now. It turns out that this is not some ancient scripture. It's the truth. It's how things work. The second one is you need to act your wage. You need to learn to live on less than you make. You are not in Congress. <laughs> the Bible says it this way. It says a foolish man devours all he has. If you spend everything you make, according to Scripture, you're a fool. Now, don't get mad at me. God said it. But I've been there. I've been a fool. And you don't want to be a biblical fool. This is not a greeting like, hey, fool, okay? This is like, this is uh, when you read about a biblical fool in Proverbs, uh-uh. This is somebody who hasn't got a chance. And you don't have a chance if you spend everything you make. You have to learn to live on less than you make. And, you know, that leads you to the scripture that says godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, contentment is probably the most powerful financial principle there is. Because if you're okay with your car, if you're okay with your clothes, if you're okay with your house, if you're okay, suddenly you can just kind of calm down and the debt starts going away and the savings can come and the giving will happen and life starts flowing the way it's supposed to. But instead we are in the feverish, feverish acquisition mode all around the world. Now, give me, give me, give me, give me. And we don't think we've got the gimmies. We don't feel like one of those four-year-old kids that we say, you had the gimmies. We don't say, say that to ourselves, but that's the way our culture has been acting and reacting. And I've done it too. I've done it with zeros on the end, so I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just saying it doesn't work because you're a fool. And fools don't prosper. So act your wage. It's the only chance you got. And, th and then we need to get on a budget. If you worked for a company called You Incorporated and you manage money for You Incorporated the way you manage money for you now, would you fire you? Don't answer that. If your job was to manage money, I mean, it's amazing to me. People do stupid stuff and then they say, Lord, bless me. And God's going, uh-uh. No, I mean, if you read the parable of the talents, those that manage well get to do more. That's what it says. If you take care of the little things, you're, you're, you're trustworthy to others. I got 250 people working on my team right now. If I got somebody misbehaves in the little things, you think I promote them to run the whole deal? I mean, if you're working at Burger King and you do a great job, you know, they'll promote you from fries to whopper flopper. Right? And if you keep going and do a bad job, do you think you get to be regional manager? No, you get go back to the fries if you do a bad job. I've got a teenage son and... And I've been teaching him to drive over the last many, many years. And he's been driving now for a couple of years. And we're doing, doing pretty good with it. And so far, no problems and lots of threats from dad. But, um, you know, 
when he's 16 years old, you know what he is behind the wheel? Incompetent. Okay? The state will give him a license, but that doesn't make him competent. So you think I'm giving this boy a Viper? You think he's getting a new Corvette and go from 0 to 60 in 3.2 seconds? No, he gets a 92 Chevette. You know? Give him something he can't hurt himself with because he's not competent. You know why? Because I'm a loving father. I'm only going to give him what he can handle and has shown competence to handle. Because if he's not competent to handle it, it won't be a blessing to him. Oh, he'd be excited to get a brand new Corvette. But that doesn't mean it'd be a blessing. He'd probably kill himself in it or somebody else worse, you know? And so, you know, your loving father is not going to give you stuff that will harm you. And if you can't handle a little bit of money, he's not going to give you a bunch of it. You'll look like you won the lotto and be bankrupt in five years. Get out of control with yourself. So, got to get on a plan. Jesus said it this way. He said, for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost to see whether he has enough to finish it? Lest he get halfway up and is unable to finish. And all who see him began to mock him and say, this man began to build and was unable to finish. You better have a plan. Or you'll get halfway up and you'll be unable to finish. That's Jesus. Read it. Red letters. That's the man talking. Don't build it. You wouldn't build a house without a blueprint. If you hired a contractor to build a $4 million house and he laid out a paper bag on the front of his truck and said, we're just going to do it like this and started sketching. (laughs) You'd be going, "Uh uh-uh. No, 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 no. Next. And that's exactly what God does. So in your working lifetime, you're going to handle four or five million dollars, six million dollars, ten million dollars. Act like it. Be responsible. Be an adult on paper, on purpose, before the month begins. Sit down, give every dollar a name and agree on it with your spouse for those of you that are married. You got to do it. You won't win unless you do. The next one is you have to learn to save money. If you don't save money, you'll be broke your whole life. See, for years, I was really good at earning money, but I wasn't good at handling money, so I tried to out-earn my stupidity. Yeah, that's happened to other people, I can tell. You can't out-earn your stupidity. You have to learn to save money. And we teach people to save money for three basic things. Number one, we teach them to save for an emergency fund. Now, Grandma said that. Grandma said to save for a rainy day, visual aid. You need to save for a rainy day. You know why? It's going to rain. Get ready. Money Magazine says 78% of you will have a major negative financial event in any given 10-year period of time in your life. Something's going to happen. The transmission's going to go out. A kid's going to get sick. Aunt Gertie's going to die and we got a barrier. Something's going to come up. You're going to get laid off. The unexpected pregnancy. Which has always kind of tickled me. But here, you know, here, here's the deal. You better be ready. Life's coming. It's coming. And if you hadn't lived long enough for life to knock you over, I'm just here to warn you. I'm an old guy. It's going to knock you over. And it's kind of cool if life shows up and you have money. Because you know what this is? It's Murphy repellent. You know who Murphy is. If it can go wrong, it will. When you have an emergency fund of three to six months of expenses set aside, Murphy will leave you alone. He will visit your neighbor's. Have you ever noticed that when you're broke is when everything goes wrong? Your life looks like a country song. But when you put $10,000 or fifteen dollars or $20,000, whatever, three to six months of expenses is, because that ought to be your emergency fund, between you and life, life says, hmm, that one's ready, I'll leave him alone. 
And he backs off in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. Wise people save choice food and oil. You're wise if you save. You're a fool if you devour all you have. You get in the parallels here, the, the perpendiculars here. They're all here for you. God's just being real plain. He's telling you, kiddo, I love you. And this is your little instruction book. If you do it this way, it works. If you don't do it, it, it doesn't. Now, it's not a sin if you don't. Debt is not a sin. It's biblically stupid. <laughs> but it's not a salvation issue. It's your father going, mm, 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 mm. what am I going to do? That's one of my stupid kids. <laughs> you know? The second thing you need to save for other than emergencies is you need to save up and pay cash for things. If you pay cash for things, you know what happens? You spend less. If you take 10 or 15 Uncle Benjamin Franklin's $100 bills and put those in your pocket, you carry them around a little while, you become kind of attached to them. It's kind of like Uncle Ben. It's part of the family, right? And then you just go, you get ready to spend something, you lay one of these things down. You have an ouchy moment. It's like, ah, I don't think I want that. Completely changes the whole equation. McDonald's did focus group studies and they found with credit cards that you spend 47% more out of McDonald's than if you spend with cash. You know why? Because it hurts. You're standing there with that plastic going, okay, supersize that, give me the apple pie, and I'll pay for his. Right? You walk up with this thing, you're like, uh, dollar menu, you're on your own. <laughs> Changes the whole perspective of things, doesn't it? When you spend this, you feel it. There's an emotional attachment to this. And Dun & Bradstreet did a study on other things that says you spend 12 to 18% less than when you spend with plastic. Buy with cash. Plus, you can kind of just go in the stereo store and walk around. And they'll go, oh, well, can we help you? <laughs> yeah, I bet you get service, don't you? And then you go up to pay and the little guy goes, whoa, dude, like this one's got real money. Uh, get the manager. I don't know how to ring this up. But you can get a deal doing this, can't you? It embarrasses my wife. She says, you embarrass me. Well, that's just a side benefit of the process. <laughs> and guess what? If you save money, you also learn to invest money. Do you know $100 a month invested in a decent growth stock mutual fund from age 30 to age 70 is $1,176,000? Pizza and cable money and you can retire with dignity. For what we spend on lattes, you can avoid retiring and buying the cookbook 72 ways to prepare Alpo and love it. <laughs> invest for your future. Invest for your kid's college. Invest. But you don't have any money to invest if you didn't have money for emergencies. And if you hadn't stayed out of debt. And if you're not on a plan. See how these things start to work together? If you start working a simple system like this and you really do it, it'll rock your world. It'll change everything and it'll allow you to do the last one. And that's give. Oh, this is the best thing you can do with money. This is the most fun there is with money. Now, you know, certainly you can tithe to your local church. That's the basics. We start there, right? But, I mean, you get a little bit of money, you can have some fun. Got a lady working on our team. And she... Um, we give out profit-sharing bonuses. We share our profits. What a neat idea with the people that work for us. And 
uh, and, and you know, her bonus every month, she's been with us a while, is three, four, five hundred bucks a month, depending on how good our profits are. She does pretty good at just on the bonus, you know. And, and she and her husband decided a few years ago, they're not rich people, but she, she, she decided that they were going to start a ministry. And, and, and what they do is they take their profit-sharing check and, and, and they cash it in cash and they go to the local Waffle House. And they pray before they go in that God will seat them at somebody's seat that waits on them that needs some help. She said, the first time we did it, we went in there and the little lady was pregnant. And she's like, thank you, God. Because listen, if you're pregnant and you're working in Waffle House, you know what? You need a job. This is somebody's working because they need to. You know? No, nope, not picking on Waffle House or anything, but that's tough work, right? Can you imagine what happened when they left a $400 tip and went to the car? How fun is that? Dave, thanks so much for sharing the profits with us. My husband and I are having so much fun. We decided, based on a suggestion of you last Thanksgiving, to create our Waffle House ministry. We take money from the profit sharing, set it aside, and then we pray for God to give us wisdom and and place a person that needs the extra money as our waitress. Then we enjoy a fun meal, leave a big tip, and leave feeling giddy. The last waitress we had was very young and very pregnant, and as soon as she walked up to our table, I thought, wow, God, this is going to be so cool for her. Is that broke people can't do that. People that don't live on a plan and have a bunch of payments can't do that. People that don't save money can't do that. We've got forums on our website at My Total Money Makeover. And the people with the forums all all write in and stuff. And one of the ladies wrote this in the other day. She sent this to us. Um, She says, I bought my husband, who's a captain in Iraq right now, a 97 Mazda Miata. A 97 Mazda Miata. So when he comes home from Iraq, it'll be here. It has 108,000 miles on it. I paid $2,800 for it. Fully aware it needed repairs, and I had budgeted about $3,000 for the repairs. I posted a picture on the Total Money Makeover boards because it's our first cash card. It's so not like the hoopties that we hear about. A couple days later, I received a FedEx envelope from a member of the TMO board. Inside was a heartfelt letter and a check for $1,000 to go towards the repairs. This was from someone who had gotten out of debt and was living on a plan. They were living like no one else, and now they were able to live like no one else. I can't begin to tell you the impact that had on me, having had a really hard year with my husband gone, and especially hard month this month. The gift wiped away so much pain and bitterness for a military wife. A thousand dollars. That's a big hit for a thousand bucks. I mean, there are people that drop a million dollars on something and don't get that much fun, or as much fun as 400 bucks on a waitress. Oh, my gosh. It'll change your world. It'll rock your world. But you can't do all of these things unless you do all of these things. You can't just get out of debt. You got to save. You can't just save if you don't get out of debt. If you don't have a written plan, it's not going to work. It all weaves together, people. This is how it works. You know why? Because God's not concerned about your money. He doesn't care about your money. He cares about you. He's crazy about you. He's got a plan for you. And He's saying to you, My children, This is how you live. And if you'll live this way, you'll win. And and what he's trying to do is he's trying to change the person in your mirror. He wants you to be a better person. Goodness gracious. He wants you to win at a level you've never won before. I mean, how many of us that have kids? I mean, we want good things for our kids. And if we be an evil, do that. How much more so our Father in Heaven? Wow. He's got a game plan for your money. How whacked is that? And it works. Every single time, without fail, every time you work this, 
It'll work. Does it work without any bumps in the road? No. Being a servant doesn't work without any bumps in the road, but it is the way to live your life, right? So there's bumps in the road. Get ready. There's going to be people that make fun of you. Broke people will make fun of your plan, which is always a good sign, by the way. If broke people are making fun of your financial plan, that's like fat people making fun of your exercise plan. Yeah. This is encouraging. So, so think this through. God has a game plan. Do these basic things over and over. Get out of debt. Act your wage. Live on a written plan. Learn to save because you're going to need it. And then most of all, become an awesome, out-of-control, abundant mentality giver. That's when the whole thing, that's when you know you hit it. That's when you know you hit the sweet spot and the ball's going out of the park. You can feel it then. I encourage you. It's not an easy trip, but it's a trip worth taking. God says to live like no one else so that later you get to live like no one else. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but it yields a harvest of righteousness. It works every time. If you pay a price to win, take these five things and go change your world. Lord, we thank you for the folks here today. We thank you for your word and we thank you for your love to us. It, it gives us hope. And God, we need that. We need to know that you care about us. A and we need to see that you've got a future for us and you've got a plan for us. And it's a plan for hope. And Lord, just wrap your arms around everyone watching this and everyone in this room and, and just breathe your love and your prosperity on them. In Jesus' name. Cool. Well, hopefully you got a lot out of that um, this evening. On the flip side of your page, there's a thing called baby steps. And this kind of breaks down a little bit more what he says. And you'll probably hear a little bit um, more about our lives. Because the biggest thing for most people is that if you don't have, if you fail to plan, then you plan to fail. And so if you're going to take control of your money instead of your money controlling you, you've got to develop a plan. Um, and I'll be honest with you with this plan is not a pick and choose plan because I have friends, we, Katie and I, when people get married, we give them the book that you got today and we give them a little thing called I Marriage, um, which is about basically um, your expectations when you get married because usually your fights and stuff in marriage are about money and expectations. And so we tell them we're not investing, we're not giving them a wedding gift, we're giving them marriage gifts. Um, but I gave it to my cousin. He's like, oh, it's an interesting book, but I don't think all these principles are sound. Well, let me promise you from living out these principles, these are sound principles, but you have to be willing to apply them and you have to be willing to follow them because if you don't apply them and you're not willing to follow them and you want to just pick and choose a few, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Um, and you got to get serious and you got to get honest with yourself and you got to do the hard work. And the funny thing about doing hard work with money and kind of just learn this is that um, Katie nor I like doing the finances, but I like doing it a little bit more than she does. So I'm the one that gets to do it. Yay for me. Um, but uh, anyways, and it like felt like it'd take forever. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like the worst thing ever. So, so I decided, hey, I'm going to take like an hour a weekend. I mean, it's one hour of a whole week and I'm going to work on my finances and we're going to get this thing figured out, you know, pay the bills, check stuff, you know, figure out budget wise what we want to do and stuff like that. And so I'm like, I mean, it takes forever, but maybe if I can give it an hour a week, it will be the end of the world. So I sit down and I start doing stuff. 
20 minutes later, I have nothing left to do. I'm like, I thought it takes hours to get this stuff done. And I think we think about it all the time, but we don't actually do anything with it. And so it's always in the back of our mind. It's always playing in the back of our mind. We think that it's so much. We think that it's such a hassle and such a long time to deal with. And the truth is, is that we just have to take the time and stop and do something. So we're going to go over a plan. This plan comes from Dave Ramsey. It's well worth following. You can, um, if you want to, you can gently take that first sheet off. Um, but I kind of wanted to keep these a little bit for unveiling. And we're going to walk through these. Because um, one of the first things that you need to do that may surprise you um, is baby step number one. And that is this. You need to create about a $1,000 emergency fund. And we're going to tell you a few things um, about that. And this means one, you go to like minimum payments on stuff. And next thing we'll talk about, well, but you go to minimum payments on stuff and you can get to about $1,000. Because here's the deal. When you start trying to work a plan like this, Murphy's Law is going to take place and something is going to go wrong. Okay? And so the only way that you prevent your tire from blowing out or you having some problems with your car or you having some problems with your family or medical bills or whatever from causing you to try to whip back out a credit card or go write up an order form if you decide that you want to get rid of your credit cards, and we'll talk about that in a minute, um, is to have that emergency fund. Realize that most people in America, the average person in America saves negative 5% of their money. We're the only nation in the world that does that. The only nation in the world. And it's because we've been convinced that we've got to keep up with someone else because we saw that they have an iPad or an iPhone and we've been convinced that we have to keep up with that or people won't like us. And the truth is, is you have no clue how miserable their lives are potentially and what they're trying to do to try to keep up with you. Um, I worked with students for the longest time and I used to always think, what if students when they were around each other, would act like who they are instead of trying to impress everybody. And they all did that, what a difference it would make. And I think it's the same way with our money and this stuff through Dave and Larry Burgett and other people are, you know, catching on with people. Um, and so people are starting to make changes in their lives. And I think it's going to make changes in our government, especially with this recession, people are looking for a different way. But one of the things that you've got to do is you've got to try to make minimums on stuff that you're doing and get a $1,000 emergency fund. So that way, if Murphy hits you, your fridge goes out, whatever may happen in your life, you've got some money where you don't go running over to credit cards because we'll deal with those a little bit later and why they can get you. So $1,000 emergency fund. Then you begin what's called a debt snowball. Now, some of you, especially if you're kind of the nerd of the family and you deal with all the finances and stuff like that, you're going to tell me that this is wrong. This is crazy how I want to tell you to do this. Just trust me. Just do it. Don't, don't try to create a whole bunch of work for yourself or say this would be wiser because of this interest rate and stuff like that. But take all your debts, your house included. Well, you can leave your house off for this part. But all your debts and list them in amounts from largest to smallest. So you take your largest debt, if that's your car, if that's a school loan, whatever, list that at the top, list all of your debt, credit card debts. If you got 10 credit cards, whatever, list them all, put them in order of largest to smallest, just on a piece of paper, um, list them all, largest to smallest, and then make minimum payments on all the ones except for that smallest one and the amount that you can do without going into more debt towards that smallest one, pay as much as you can on it, as much as you can on it, 
Still honoring God first fruits, and we'll deal with that a little bit later too. But pay as much as you can on that. And then once you're done with that, instead of saying woohoo and just blowing it, take all the money you were paying on that one and put it to the next one and work your way up. And it's called a debt snowball because it's like a snowball. It feels like it starts real slow, but you start knocking off the bottom two or three and you have all the money that you used to be paying to all those to go to like your fourth and fifth one. And you start paying off your debt really, really fast. It's amazing how much traction and how much ground you get when you apply that. And some of you say, well, the interest rate on this one's higher and the interest rate on this one's higher. This is about a habit. This is not about trying to figure out what interest rate is better and stuff like that. And to be honest with you, to get started on this, you're gonna need a few quick fixes to know, hey, I did it. And if you go to the one with the cheapest interest rate and it's a couple of thousand dollars and it takes forever, you're gonna give up and you're gonna walk away. And so that's why you start with your lowest so you can celebrate that victory. And if you pay off that one and you wanna go out to eat or whatever, go for it, you know, not go see Mickey Mouse or anything, but, you know, if you want to, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Maybe when you get rid of all your debt, if you want to go see Mickey, that's fine. But, you know, don't, it's not like, ooh, I get to go spend a fortune because I'm minus my lowest debt. That's not the goal here, okay? Because you're just going to wind up spending money before you get to the money that you need to use. So you work that, and that may take a while, but during this time, You've got to be intense about this. Dave would talk about it being like gazelle-like intensity. And if you read through the book, it will tell you um, stuff about that as well. You've got to be super intense to the point that you give up even putting money away for retirement. And we'll talk about that in a minute. You're like, what? I can't give. If you, if you follow the steps, like I'm telling you, you can do that. And it means you in your 401k or whatever you're doing, why you're trying to get out of debt and only during that season, but you've got to attack your debt and you've got to walk out here tonight saying serious about changing your life. If you just want to piddle with your debt and stuff like that, then you definitely need to keep putting money towards your retirement. But if you're serious about getting out of debt and you're serious about wanting to change your life, then you stop putting money towards retirement and you focus all your money out of getting out of debt. And that will lead you to the third one. And this will help your marriage for so many of you. And the third one is this, a fully funded emergency fund, three to six months of expenses and savings. Here's why this is important to your marriage. For, for many of you, there's going to be somebody, and usually ladies, it's you who likes to have a little bit of security in their life. And when they can see that three to six months of expenses are in a bank account, making interest somewhere, then that makes life a lot easier to deal with and not having that money available. Um, this past fall, due to um, kind of vision as well as just finances that weren't coming in, I got let go from a church I served at here in Statesboro for about um, nine years um, at that time. And so they let me go. The fun little thing in ministry is that churches don't pay into um, unemployment. So if you lose your job in ministry, government's not writing you a check. Um, you, you don't get anything from the government. Now, my church is very generous to me in that they paid us a severance till the end of the year. So that was very helpful. And, even, and then even at the first of the year, while they were still hurting financially, they even gave us some money um, to deal with kind of being employed. So they're very generous um, to us. And I don't take anything away from what they did for us. They didn't have to do that. And no church has to do that. But we had no worries because we had three to six months of expenses saved up. We actually have a little bit more than that because one of the decisions that we made through going through the FPU class before was that um, Katie stays home with our girls. And so she hasn't had to work. Um, she's working a little bit now, but it's only about 15 hours a week and she still gets plenty of time with them. But 
we built up an emergency fund while she was still working and before we had our kids so that if something like that happened, we were covered. And you feel a lot safer and you feel a lot more secure about things and how you handle different situations in your life when you know you have that money in there to protect you and save you. And if you do lose your job, unemployment doesn't pay you as much as you were making before. And it doesn't give you a lot of the benefits and stuff you had when you had a job. So understand, you still need that three to six months of expenses. The other great thing about that, and and hopefully I won't curse myself by saying this, but if Katie and I were to have a car go dead right now, we could go out and pay cash for a new car and not have to worry about that instead of getting the loan and putting ourselves in debt again. That is an extremely great feeling to have. And everybody in this room is capable of doing that if you decide that's what you want to do and stop buying into this, so to speak, American dream where we live above what we make. Because you can't do that and be successful. Millionaires, when they go to buy a car, always buy used cars. And we'll talk a little bit more about this in a second. And they pay cash for them. These are millionaires. They didn't get to be millionaires by leasing, or as Dave likes to say, fleecing a car, which if you have a leased car, please go turn it in and change that because that is the, it's the cheapest probably per month, but it is the worst investment. They love you for leasing a car because they make more money off of leases than any other form of car investment that you can make. So it's just something to think about. They want you to lease your car. Um, so just something to think about. So think about this. By the time you get to that step three, you're completely out of debt, but your house, you now have a fully funded emergency fund. And then you've got 15% of what you make that you can put towards retirement. Because remember, we told you to shut that down. It might be two or three years for some of us where we have to shut that down. But then you're putting 15% towards your retirement and that could fluctuate and and. And we kind of, I kind of think, and there's some stuff I've been reading lately, makes me think that you probably could do 10% and be good. And, and my suggestion with the other 5% is really to be generous with it and give it to what God's doing around the world. But that's a, um, a different story. But 10 to 15% towards retirement, depending on what you want to do. And like I said, you have the money to do that because you don't have all this debt that you're dealing with and you have an emergency fund. So if the car goes dead or whatever, you're not having to go and get a loan to get your car paid for. And so understand, you have that money available to do those things with. And even from the get-go, one of the things that I would tell you is you have that 10% that tied to your local church. Because when Katie and I lost our job, we kept tithing. When we were without a job and they were giving us, so to speak, like severance from January until we came on board here, we kept tithing. Um, I mean, you can ask Kim and see my records for all I care. But we tithed throughout all of that. That was important to us. And we tithe what we were doing, our debt snowball and everything else. And that was important to us during all of that because it's not our money to begin with. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, and then you can do towards your kid's college fund. And I'm going to tell you something here. And I mean, I want to save for my girls and we have money set aside for them. But you don't owe your kids paying for their college. And I feel like that's something that everybody needs to understand. It's something that would be really great for you to do. You set them up. Um, for a great future when you help pay for their college, but you don't owe your children paying for their college. There's nothing biblically or personally that says you have to pay for your kid's college. Now, I would ask, and just learning, and I love my parents and stuff like that, is don't set your kids up with a bunch of loans for college 
and then say, hey, here you go. Have fun with those. You know, if you want, if your expectation is for them to pay for their college, then set them up understanding that before they get there. There's a guy that I just heard about. Through, um, there's a guy named Dan Miller. He does 48 Days to the Work You Love, but he has a little thing. And there was a guy whose parents, you know, just said, hey, look, we're not gonna have the money to pay for your college. And so he went and he applied for all these scholarships that nobody had ever heard of. That was just money just sitting out there. And he built up the money that he needed to go to college out applying for all these scholarships. And so he applied for them. He went to four years of college, um, didn't have to pay a dime of it out of his own money. In Georgia, you kind of have hope that it seems like that dwindles every year. Um, but anyways, um, so four years of that. And then he wrote a book about how he got all these loans. And so now he's playing grad school of going around speaking about how to do this as well as money from the book that he wrote about how he did that but he didn't have to pay a dime. And his parents were nice enough to say, hey, look, we're not in a situation where we're gonna be able to help you pay for college. And they gave him an opportunity to prepare and they set him up biblically, financially, because they see the example that you set. I mean, we've, the example that Katie and I have set has, has made a difference with my parents, um, with my grandmother, um, with her parents, with her family. I mean, it makes a huge difference. And you're right. When, when we first started working, everybody thought we were crazy. And we get on the backside and they knew what we were making, stuff like that. Because no offense, you don't get rich working in ministry. I mean, it just doesn't happen. Um, and you didn't get into ministry to get rich. And if you did, then there's issues that you have because you were mistaken. But anyways, um, and so they knew that we weren't rich by any means, but they saw what we did and they all had a ton more respect for what they saw. So promise you, if we can do it being in ministry and, and Katie was incredibly successful with marketing, but that's still a different story because she worked for Northland Cable and she was awesome. But, um, but anyways, um, which was very helpful to us, but we've maintained those principles and she's been able to stay home. When Katie quit working, we lost two thirds of our income. So you can't tell me that you, you know, this is not possible. I don't make enough and stuff like that because it's just not true. Um, so give toward their college fund if you want to. Um, he suggests about five to 10%. Um, we've done it a little bit differently than that. Um, you don't have to do it that way because as much as we want our girls to go to college, we don't want to save up all this money towards college. And then they say, I want to do this or, or that, or, you know, they, they decide that they want to go to cosmetology school and we've got, you know, 40,000 saved up and it's only going to cost, I don't know what cosmetology school costs, but hopefully it's not $40,000 to go to cosmetology school. Um, if it is, wow. But anyways, um, but number six is pay off your mortgage. That's where Katie and I are right now. We are working on paying off our mortgage. And like I said, just real briefly before, um, we started off on a 20-year loan. We were hoping to do a 15. That's the ideal. Um, we, put a one, we put a third down on a 20-year loan. When do we buy our house, Katie? Because I'm horrible with... Oh, four. Um, hopefully in the next, oh, six. That sounds better. I was about to say, man, that seems early. Okay. So in oh, six, before that, we lived in a little duplex. Um, we were rocking with our college student neighbors who liked to drink and party, but hey, we rocked on with them. And so, but they were great, man. They brought us shrimp and all kinds of good stuff too. So it worked out great for us. It's like, all right, you can rock on. Just keep bringing the shrimp. Um, but anyways, um, but we stayed in there. And then, when, like I said, we bought our house and went through the stuff that I shared with you about the house um, and walked through that opportunity. Now we're working on paying that off. We're looking at um, refinancing, which is also rare right now for people to a 10-year, which will take about a year and eight, or about 18 months off our house. 
um, and lower our payments, which is exciting. Yes, it's only about $10, but I'll take it. Um, and then the last one is build wealth and give because you think about it, you have a paid off house, which most people don't even think about paying off their house, which is crazy, but it's completely doable. Um, and a matter of fact, when he talks about build wealth and give, he's talking about like, if you wanna get involved in real estate, that you pay outright for your real estate. Um, and not and if saying if you do and stuff like that, that's one thing, but don't, please don't go into debt, especially in Statesboro, thinking that you need to get rental property to rent out to other people because that's gonna make you money while you have debt doing it. That's a bad decision. Please do not do that because you don't know what your life situation is gonna be. I mean, if you have that and that's what's trucking for you, try to take care of your stuff first, work this first and then deal with that because that's kind of your secondary deal. I'm not saying you're bad or evil for doing it. Just saying, if you're thinking about it right now, don't until your finances are in good shape. It's never worth going into debt because like Dave said, the borrower is slave to the lender. And you can have rental property where it does not. Now, does that mean it might be a little different and know oh, what about the money we'll make and stuff like that? It's not really your money. It's the bank's money. You're not, well, we're making money off the top of that, but you never know when that's gonna come due and it's not your money. And if you can pay for your own things and have your own things and then be able to do something like that, that's awesome. Think you have a completely paid for house and then you're able to save up and you're able to buy another house. I mean, I wish we were to that point now because right now you can get houses in the States for really, really cheap. And then you could rent it out, have a paid for house that you're renting out. And if that person decides not to pay you or whatever, then you're in great shape because you don't owe anything on that house and that house is yours. Um, and so if you're there, I mean, obviously I'm not a money manager, but I'm just telling you it's as good as it seems, it's a risk. And you have to realize that there's a risk. On the back, there's some quick ways to save money. We're gonna talk to you a little bit about those. We'll probably get into some other things that I'll probably try to um, stop you from dealing with. But, and you heard Dave mention this, but the first one is pay with cash. It hurts more to pay with cash than with plastic. Um, if you read through the book, it'll talk about starting an envelope system. An envelope system is where you take cash when you get paid, when you set up your budget. And I will, I will confess to you, it's why I teach FBU, it's why I do this. A written budget is one of the biggest struggles for Katie and I. That is our biggest area of struggle. Now, we've done incredibly well with this struggle with that. And we have a budget because when we get money, like people gives us gifts and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, Katie, we need to apply it to this, this, and this. And she said to me before, why can't we just get money and not have to point it towards something? So we have a budget, even though we struggle as far as a written down part, that we have a budget and we're probably both kind of good in the fact that we're both fairly conservative when it comes to money. Um, she just thinks that, you know, if we have extra, it should go towards plants. And I just think that it should go towards getting, no offense to Statesboro, but getting out of Statesboro. Though, um, unlike my friend in the back who doesn't like Waynesboro, I have now decided that I don't like Hiltonia, which I affectionately call Hiltonia because it's the biggest speed trap on the planet. And I got a ticket there recently. And we told our daughters about it and we shared it this way. We talked about the evil knights who attacked daddy and how daddy fought them off and went back and had to deal with the nice witch, still witch, but the nice witch who he had to pay the money for the fine. I haven't had a speeding ticket in over 10 years, so it made me a little mad. So if you're from Hiltonia, uh, or Hiltonia, sorry, um, I'm sorry, but it's, I kind of agree with Brandon's thoughts on Waynesboro is my thoughts on Heltonia. I'm pretty sure there's entrance to hell there. Um, I just, and it's somewhere near the jail slash 
fire slash mayor's office, which is all the same building that looks like a shack, which is the first sign of the apocalypse, I'm almost convinced. Anyways, um, different story altogether there. But um, pay cash for stuff, because when, when we got hit with that little speeding ticket, we were able to pay for it. We didn't like it, but we were able to pay for it um, at that time because we had the cash available to us. And you never know when you're going to run into a speed trap in Hiltonia. Just avoid it would be the... Um, I also don't think it's legal for the speed limit to drop 15 miles per hour, but if you know that that's correct, let me know. Um, you spend 12 to 18% more just using a credit card than if you use cash, even if you pay your credit card off at the end of the month because plastic that doesn't immediately affect you doesn't hurt to use. It's just like he was saying about going to McDonald's and how people at McDonald's spend 43% more when they use plastic. That's why they make it so much easier for you to use plastic. Even if you pay it off, you're like, Brian, credit cards are no big deal for me. I pay them off every month. You spend more money. I guarantee you, if you walk in the Walmart with cash, you will spend less money every time than if you walk in the Walmart with plastic. Now, debit cards are a little bit different, but usually what we try to do is we try to do cash first, and then the debit card is kind of our warning. Like most of the time, if I were to go out to eat with you for lunch, you'll see me pay with cash. And when my cash runs out in a week, and I maybe I use um, a debit card that lets me know it's not the end of the world, but it lets me know that, you know, maybe if I was thinking I was going to go out to eat with somebody the next day, I might need to make that the next week um, when I get paid again before I go and do that. So it's kind of my guardrail, if you will. So um, if we go out with a family, I'm probably going to use a debit card just because it's four of us and um, two little girls are starting to get expensive to feed. So. Um, but anyways, so the best way to do that is to not use credit um, because it can really, really hurt you. Um, write down what you spend for a month. This is a principle that works great in any area of your life that you want to overcome. Um, Julie Childers, who's in the back, say hi, Julie. So um, Julie did a great program that she's going to um, do for us that I've walked through with her. Um, when Katie and I got married and she loved me anyways, I weighed 215 pounds, which is like the most I'd ever weighed. Um, she still loved me. On my own, I got down to about 210, maybe 205. Um, and then I went through a program that Julie um, did. I'm going to blank on the name. Help me out, Julie. First place, thank you. Seems like I should remember that. Um, it got down to 185. Um, I'd love to tell you that I'm still at 185, but that would be a lie. I'm at 195. But the greatest thing about that class with Julie, and it's the second step, is that everything I ate, I wrote down. And it made it so much easier to see what I was eating. But when it comes to your money, if you want to save money, write down what you spend for a month because you will be blown away by what you spend on like Brandon talked about and confessed the other day as far as like going to get coffee from Dunkin' Donuts and how many times you do that in a week and how many times for me it's getting a soda and a candy bar, which probably made Julie cry a little bit. Um, but anyways, um, you know, going to do that in a week and stuff like that. Um, and I'll tell you, well, actually, I kind of want to say that for a minute. But anyways, um, create a budget. Start telling your money where to go instead of it telling you where it's going. Um, create a budget. The first month you do a written budget, you'll be horrible at it. Just know that you're gonna, it's not gonna work real well the first time you do it. And that's okay because you learn because you're not gonna give yourself enough money to go to the grocery store because one, you're gonna discover, oh my gosh, we spend a lot of money at the grocery store. Um, and two, it makes it difficult. Is that a head nod of, I agree. Yeah, isn't it crazy how much money we spend at the grocery store? So, um, 
But yeah, and, and just different areas of your life and stuff like that. And you'll see stuff. You can find budget forms. You can go to mint.com and find budget forms there. You can go to Dave's site and find budget forms there. Um, you can find them all over the place that kind of give you some stuff that's already set up. You can even buy budget software from Dave every once in a while for like 10 bucks. And that will kind of start helping you and giving you some spreadsheets and stuff like that to use if you want to. But just get it down on paper. And if you spend like this month, I mean, we're only on the third day of this month and you write down what you're spending for a month and then you start your budget next month, then you kind of get a picture of what you're spending. And actually you'll probably spend less because you're having to write it down all the time. And because you're having to write it down, it'll probably cause you to spend less um, in general. And so that's why I put it as a way to save money. But when you do a budget, you start realizing all the ways you waste money and not saying that it's necessarily bad, and you may want to include that in there, but you don't include it in your life as much. Um, credit cards are the next thing. I will tell you, if you really want to save money and you really want to get serious about this deal, get rid of your credit cards. Cut them up. As a matter of fact, there's a popular song right now, and I thought it was about a girl, but I'm actually convinced that it is about credit cards, and Brandon's going to play you um, a little snippet of that song um, right now. Hopefully. So that song has to talk about credit cards. I'm convinced. Think about it. So it talks about, I gave you all my hat and you threw it in the trash. I'm trying to show you all this love and you treat me like dirt. So um, I didn't even mention my favorite line, which has got to be true of credit cards. And that's when you get back to say hi to the devil when you get back to where you're from. That has to be about credit cards. Um, it just has to be, which is an awesome line. Um, just don't use it with your spouse because I don't think that would work very well. But um, that's how credit cards are. That's how I think about credit cards because look, they want you to use credit cards. And like Dave said, nobody's ever got rich after sky miles. And you're like, man, I'll get these sky miles. I'll do this and stuff like that. I get them a little bit more for businesses and stuff like that because of multiple people and stuff. But for your own personal finances, you are a lot wiser with the debit card. And if you truly want to get out of debt and you truly want to not be in the negative, when you cut up credit cards, it makes it very difficult for you to personally get below what you're making because you don't have anything that allows you to spend above what you have. And you can live without credit cards. Like I said, for the last six to seven years, Katie and I have lived no problem without credit cards. It has not hurt us in the least. So you can't convince me. Well, what about emergencies? You take care of that with that emergency fund. That $1,000 before you start working on that debt snowball and then that three to six months of expenses will take care of you no matter what your situation is. So you don't need a credit card to fall back on. And the only thing that's even bigger in debt than that is a house. And nobody's ever put a house on the credit card. So you don't need credit cards at that point. Now, some of you might be thinking, and we'll just, I'll deal with this for a second. What about the FICO score? You know, that's gonna completely mess me up on my FICO score, all that fun stuff. 
There's nothing that you need to get where you have to worry about your FICO score. The only area where it might hurt you a little bit is insurance may cost you a little bit more, but I promise you by not having that credit, you will save a ton more than your insurance will go up. That's the only area that's dumb enough to think that you should have to worship at that score. If you're worried, well, what about getting a house? If I don't have a good FICO score, I can't lower stuff as far as my house goes and stuff like that. That's not true. They can do a thing called manual underwriting. And if you've paid... Um, where you live for the last three years. Um, You've paid on time and stuff like that. And you've shown that you can pay your bills. They can do a thing called manual underwriting and you can get the exact same interest rate. FICO score is just easy for them. And that's why they like to use it. But um, if you're like, wow, we can't find anybody where we can refinance to do that. You can go to Dave Ramsey's site. There's a place called Churchill Mortgage. They will do manual underwriting. They love working with Dave Ramsey people because, oh my gosh, A, they have money, and B, they're trying to get out of debt where they have money to pay off their house. I mean, who doesn't want to work with them? Like when I was calling, I was dealing with, unfortunately, Wells Fargo. And the guy was like, well, you know, we'll have to do a credit check and stuff like that. So, well, the only thing we have is our house for like the last few years. And last time we checked it, it was good. But I don't know what it is now, but you've seen that we've either paid the right amount or we've paid over since we began this loan and stuff like that. And I'm like, if you don't want somebody like that refinancing with you, that's fine. We can find somebody else who will, who's smart enough to do that. And the guy didn't really say anything, but I just thought that I would share that with him. Um, one that's real easy that you could walk out of here and do tomorrow if you had these is if you have a whole life um, insurance policy, get rid of it. You can take the same money that was building up in that whole life. You can put it in a mutual fund, even though they are down now. I'm not going to lie. I mean, Dave used to say all the time that you can get 10%. I think nowadays it's closer to six or seven, but in a 10-year period, you will still get 10% on a um, growth stock mutual fund. Even during the depression time, they were still getting 10% because, yeah, they existed. Um, so over a 10-year period, they still get you 10%, even though if you looked at it for a short period, you might see it either under or just a little bit over. Um, but you can take the money that you're doing in the whole life. You can take the money that was, quote, unquote, your savings for that, put it in there. So cash those boogers out, get you some term life insurance, preferably 30-year term, cost you a little bit long, a little bit more, but lasts a lot longer. Um, a couple of years ago, well, probably four or five years ago, Katie and I did that. We were talking to a lady the other day just saying, well, maybe it's cheaper now. We're talking to her and we we're telling what ours were. And she's like, oh, well, those must be 20 year. And so we called the people that we had them with and they're like, no, they're 30 year. And it just, I mean, it's so much lower. So the quicker you can do that, the better off you are to go to term and get rid of your whole life insurance. And you can do that Monday. I mean, it's that simple. The other thing like I tell you that millionaires do, other people do, is that there is no sense in buying a brand new car. They look nice. They smell so good. I know, I know, I know. But they lose 60% of their value in the first two years. So if you can hold off for two years on that car that you saw on the commercial that you must have, um, if you can hold off two years, you can get it for dirt cheap and the value sticks with it a lot better at that point. So, um, and the fun thing is, is when you have the money and you go in to pay cash with people, because Katie and I did this when we got our SUV, is that we researched, we knew what it would cost us. And we walked in and um, I got this from a buddy of mine, the ladies head basketball coach um, here at Georgia Southern. His, his name is Rusty Cram and his dad um, would do this. He'd research cars and figure out what he'd go in and pay for a used car. And he'd basically say this, and we didn't quite do this, but it was kind of similar because we were willing to walk away and they didn't want us to leave. Um, and basically we knocked off $1,000 because we didn't, we, we had to pay for the $100 for the key 
system ourselves, which I'm like, okay, I think it's well worth $100 to pay for that ourselves. But anyways, we just started writing the check for the amount we thought the car was worth, and we're like, just stop us, and we'll stop. And they never stopped us, and they took the check, and that's what that guy um, basically said to you. But you got to be willing to walk away, and when you have the cash, they give them cash for it. You have a lot more leverage when you deal with people than when you don't, and it just makes your life easier. Um, her vehicle has retained its value from what we paid for it, and it's been awesome. But get two years or more, and if all you can afford is a $1,000 car, there's $1,000 cars that run well. Get you a $1,000 car, live off of that for a while, build yourself up, maybe a year or two, you can afford a $3,000 car, buy that car, and just keep building from there. I'm telling you, millionaires, if millionaires are doing it, there's got to be a reason to it. And if everybody's convincing you that you shouldn't do it, that you should get a loan, that you should, and oh, it's... um. You know, even like on a brand new car, because that's, you know, a lot of times where they'll give you that zero interest rate, you're still losing money because your car depreciates so stinking fast when you buy a new car and stuff like that. And if you've done that and stuff like that, just realize this, we've all made mistakes with money. My advice to you would be try to get out of it, which when people call Dave's show all the time, he's like, sell your car, sell your car. Um, I'm not willing to be that bold. I don't know your particular situation, but... If you're serious about getting rid of your debt, you may have to sell a car and you may have to get less of a car and it may look like a junky car and, and Dave gets picked on a lot because people are like, here's my junky car. We call it our Dave car. He's like, why don't you call the car you get after the junky car, your Dave car? Why does the junky car have to be called after me? But, um, but it may be worth it if you want to get serious about getting right side up because they call that loan on that car or your house or you know, like in Dave's situation, it leaves you spiraling. It could lead to a lot of trouble for you. Um, here are just some real simple ones. Um, smartphones are dumb if you're living paycheck to paycheck. You do not have to have a nice phone. It's, I know for some of us, it's hard to believe, but this is my phone and it's cracked actually now. Um, it's over two years old and it's definitely not smart. Um, so this is my wife's mom called me while I was talking tonight but anyways but and it's like cracked at the top of it and you hear it snapping because it's cracked over here and stuff like that but it works and it makes phone calls which is really kind of cool um so we're kind of happy that it makes phone calls and stuff like that but you don't have to have a smartphone you don't have to have a lot of things that you think that you need I mean some of the things that we had that were above that we just didn't I mean that you know when we had the job and everything was going great that we've gotten rid of is um there was some stuff with the house that we changed, but we got rid of our home phone, which I think we talk about in a minute. But let me talk about the, the smartphones. Based on what I got from AT&T and what I got from Verizon, um, depending on if you're one person or you're married and stuff like that, you spend 360 to $720 extra a year just to have a smartphone. Now, if you have the money to do that and you're able to give and you're able to be charitable and you're working your debts and you're doing those different things, then that's fine. But there's a way that you could put money towards paying off your debts just by getting rid of that smartphone. So just stuff to think about and stuff to think about as far as those plans go and stuff like that. Because you got to start thinking that every little thing, especially monthly, because people say, oh, it's just 30 more bucks a month. Yeah, but what is that in a year? I hate things that are done monthly because they always convince you, oh, it's just this little amount, but it's forever. It's 30 bucks extra a month forever. It's not like you stop paying for that stuff one day. Um, and so it's there forever. And so it's poor if you don't need it. Um, also, you can't watch 400 channels on your TV. I don't know who you might have. And so you don't need to pay for 400 channels. A lot of times you pay for a ton of channels so you can watch 
one show. Um, we have DirecTV. We discovered a package um, that they don't even advertise that meets our needs and it's dirt cheap because we're still in the middle of our contract with them. But it's dirt cheap and it meets our needs. And the nice thing about DirecTV, the buddy of mine that lives here who works for them says, if you call them and you harass them about once every other month, they just give you all these crazy discounts. I mean, it's just like, oh, and like they'll tell that you can't do it. And like two days later, back when CBS is gonna go off the air, I'm like, so CBS can go off the air the first year? It's like, I don't know, but I can give you like six months, $5 off for your trouble. I was like, okay. <laughs> two days earlier, I'd call and they'd done like, $5 off for three months saying they couldn't do anything else. So just keep harassing them. And I called them because um, Katie's mom has it and she's a haggler like crazy. And I was like, my wife's mom, you know, like spent three hours on the phone with y'all and y'all lowered her stuff. So you and I can do that or you can just give me the discounts you gave her and save both of us a lot of time. She's like, what's her name? And so I told her name and he promised me all these discounts, but I had to call back because they weren't the best. Um, what he said anyways. But cell phones versus home phone. If you have a cell phone, you may not need a home phone. Um, keep that in mind. That's a way to save money while you're trying to get out of debt. The other thing is, is you don't have to have the newest fashions from the store. You can actually go find stuff that has not even been used at yard sale. Um, I have a brown polo shirt, long sleeve that Katie got from me for a dollar at a yard sale. I have a very nice Georgia Southern women's basketball shirt that the old sports announcer was leaving. I think she got it for two bucks. Um, so you can find um, really great deals and not have to worry um, about it. I want to talk to you a little bit in um, preparing for this opportunity and time with y'all. We only got a few more, a little bit longer, and then that'll be good to go. I promise you I'll get you out of here um, well within the two hours. So that would be the good part of all this. Um, and preparing for this, Brandon um, kind of brought this up to me a while back and um, we picked up some books and there's some book and there are books that I'd encourage you um, to read. Um, one is called The Blessed Life. I wish I could remember. You remember that author's name, Brandon? Robert Morris. Good job. So the other one is called Fills a Goal by Andy Stanley, um, which is a great book. And then the last one is by a guy named Randy Alcorn. I'm going blank on the title, but out of the three, his was probably the best um, as far as just smacking you in the face and being honest about what God has said. Sure, no problem. Um, Fields of Gold by Andy Stanley. The Fields of Gold. Yep, Fields of Gold. Like looking out into the fields and seeing golden fields. Um, the Blessed Life by Robert Morris. Uh, my only deal with Robert Morris and, and, and um, um, Brandon and I kind of go back and forth a little bit is some of his theology to both of us in different areas is a little sketchy. So, I mean, the, the principles and stuff that he teaches is solid, but sometimes his theology gets a little off and that's where Randy Alcorn and Andy are a lot stronger. So just know when you read The Blessed Life, you can't deny his testimony and some other things, but it's just like some of his, um, what he says on First Fruits, it seems to be very solid, but it just, uh, there's just some pieces of it that I struggle with. Huh? I, yeah, but I cannot remember the name of that book. But anything on Monday by Randy Alcorn is well worth getting. He wrote a book called The Treasure Principle that's really, really easy to find. You can probably find it for two bucks on Amazon. Uh, Robert Morris or Robert Morris? Robert Morris. So once he said it, I remember. Yeah, and it's The Blessed Life. If you look that up on Amazon, you'll find it pretty quick. Um, if you have a Kindle, you can get them for like five bucks or less. I mean, it's really great. Um, most of those books... Um, 
So, and if you have a Kindle, look, because sometimes you get books on money really cheap. Um, if you're getting married or you know somebody who's about to get married, um, you can still find a book by Larry Perget on money that also kind of gives you an inventory of like your personalities, which is an awesome book. I don't remember the name of it. It's like Money and Marriage or something like that, but it's by um, him. But anyways, looking through these books and stuff like that, there are some things that I began to kind of realize. It wasn't stuff that I didn't know. It just kind of hit me in a stronger way. And one of those things, and, and we tend to, with money, we tend to do this, and that is we tend to feel like it's ours. I mean, we made it, we earned it, we did everything for it, right? And I can remember being in my car in seminary and hearing um, a sermon from a guy in the Fort Worth area. I'm going blank on his name, but he's an awesome guy. He's an African-American pastor who's just amazing. Um, I can tell you when we went to seminary, usually when I go blank on names, I can tell you everything about somebody and forget their name. But anyways, he was talking about your ability to make money came from God. Your ability to think, to plan, to go to work, all of that came from God. Your money is God's. You are steward of that money. It's not yours. It never was yours. But myself included, we can have the mentality that it's our money and we're giving it to God to do God's work. The truth is that is not the case. The truth is everything that you make, God enabled you to do, it's all his. And he's saying, look, you need to understand that it's all mine. So I need you to leave 10% of that with me, but I am giving you the other 90%. Now you can adjust that. And if you get into grace giving, it's usually higher and all those guys kind of deal with that and stuff like that. And so I'm reading that in there and I'm like, man, you know, it's really hitting home. Um, Brandon this morning talked about the parable of the talents. And there was a guy, and if you're out there, if you know him, I'm so sorry, but there was a guy at the Upward Field yesterday and he's sharing that. And he did it just like Brandon had heard that he talked about this morning where the guy's relating it to like your talents that God gives you and stuff like that. And I'm sitting there going, no, 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 shh, stop, stop. And I was like, no, no. And he's like telling it to the kids and God's giving you all these talents. You, But what's so amazing is like when you read the verse, it starts talking about, it's Matthew 25, 14 through 30. And, and Dave talks about it a little bit too, but it's basically, a, I'm just gonna give you the summary version but basically the, the, the property, the, the owner, if you will, and trust people with, you know, he trusts ones with five, one with three, and one with one talent based on what kind of he saw in them to see, you know, what they would do with that. But it was his money, just like God in the jobs that you have and the work that you do, he entrusts you with the money that you make from that. The one that got five talents turned that into um, five more, three, and the one that got one buried it and so to speak kept it for himself we always kind of deal with the fact that you know the one who buried it they say you wicked person and we always deal with oh you know you're being wicked for what God gave you and stuff like that but notice the one that he gave the most to he gave what he gave that little one to and when I was reading that I and I truly believe this and, and I'm not a health and wealth person by any means but I believe with all my heart and, and reading through these books is what kind of caused me to realize is that God is looking for people to be faithful with the money that he's given them so he can increase what he's given them. Now, I'm not 
telling you health and wealth. I mean, you can read the story of Job and see how Job lost everything. I'm not saying this is the way that you get wealthy because one, your heart would be wrong if you said, oh, well, I'm going to give money so God will give me more money. Well, your heart's already wrong in that deal. So that's not what God's going after. But I do believe that God is looking for people to be faithful with and, and reading through those books is just so evident in the parables and stuff like that. And so I'm sitting there and I'm looking at that and thinking about the Elevate offering that was today and a couple of weeks ago. It was kind of cool because Katie and I were sitting. I was like, hey, Katie, just pray. She's like, oh, I just trust you. No, 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 Katie, pray. And we both came up with the same number to give. And we're like, oh, this is so cool. Obviously, God, this is what God's doing. And I'm reading through those books and stuff like that. And God like nailed me with three things. And one of those, those these three things, one of those was um, we had adopted a little boy through Compassion a while back. And it was $32 a month. And then when we um, lost our job, um, we were able to drop that down to 19 and, and we're still kind of doing the 19 thing and, and God kind of convicted me about that because they want 38 from you, but we're like, okay, we'll leave this at 32. Um, and our kid sends us, you know, a letter, which sometimes we debate if he even reads what we wrote him or whatever, but this still is true regardless of that. And that's, he wrote us a letter and he's like, hey, thank you for the Christmas presents you gave us. And this is what we got him. We got him a shirt. We got him shoes. We got him wheat. We got him oil, and there was one other, like, help you, rice. What if you gave your kid that for Christmas? Your kids would pitch a fit. And this kid was grateful for the stuff. And I'm just like, we're giving this kid 19 bucks a month, and I can go and get a soda and a candy bar. This makes no sense. And that's the other thing. If you're saying you're poor and you're able to go to Dunkin' Donuts and get some coffee, you're able to eat out lunch for friends and stuff like that, you're not poor. Woo-woo. I like it. Um, so just keep that in mind. I was like, so that was the first thing that God convicted me about. And then he goes, um, I want you to, to triple what you're giving um, to the um, Elevate offering, which we thought, you know, we were doing pretty good to give what we were giving before. So we're like, triple? And he's like, yeah, triple. But okay. And then the other thing is like, um, there's a certain amount for our um, um, bank account. And it was like, you know, that we felt comfortable if we had in there. And he's like, and anything that's above that, we want you to give as far as your tithe. And, and, and we're like, okay, that's cool. And stuff like that, because I, I didn't think we were near it. Um, so I wasn't too worried about that number. And uh, anyway, so we get ready Saturday and, and we'd been praying stuff like that. And so we were, we were good with tripling um, our offering. And then I like look at our bank account online and it's, I mean, it's, not a ton over, but it was a lot more over than what I thought it would be to give as far as our regular offering. And I'm just like, oh, wow, hey, Katie, look, um, this is what, and I began to think, oh, but we have, um, we're trying to get self-incorporated, long story short. And so we have like money in there that should go in a business account one day, hopefully. Um, I was like, I was like, oh, well, the money in there for that, we haven't like really paid bills yet. So would that, and I was like, no, I just said, whatever's in there at the first of the month, we'd write a check above that to give to regular tithe. And and that's what we did. And it was, um, wasn't overly huge amount, but it was huge enough to make us start thinking that it was our money again. And God's like, this is what you said. And it wasn't our money. And he reminded us about the thing that it was money for a business that was in there later. I just said, hey, God, it was your money anyway. So you remind me about this now. That's your problem, not mine. Um, and so just please understand that we like to think all this stuff is ours. And your biggest battle is going to be over God and over money in your life. And the truth of it is, is it's not our money. And, that, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I've got that all figured out and good with it because when I saw that number yesterday, I was like, Ugh. 
So obviously I haven't quite learned, but I think he did that to say, okay, well, if you're going to talk about this and do this, then you need to realize that. Um, John Wesley had some great questions that he would ask about the money he spent. And gosh, I, to be honest with you, I hate these questions because I feel like I don't live up to them very well. But if you want to write these down, these will um, revolutionize what you spend your money on. Um, and like I said, I struggle with them, but at least give you a, um, a place to start. And then we will um, um, give you a chance to ask maybe a few questions and then we'll get you out of here. The first one says this, and it's talking about when you go to spend money. This is the first one is this, in spending this money, am I acting as if I owned it? You can abbreviate and stuff like that. I don't want you to spend forever trying to write word for word. Or am I acting as if the Lord's trustee? It's like Dave said, if you hired you to run your money, would you fire you? You know, because if you hired somebody to run your money, you'd want to make sure that they knew what every penny was doing and how that was working. And yet for ourselves, we're not nearly as good as that. So is it as I owned it or as if it's money that God's entrusted me? The second one says, what scripture passage requires me to spend this money this way? Yeah, I don't like that one. Um, what scripture passage requires me to spend this money this way? Was, you know, when you think about how long ago John Wesley lived, it's amazing how accurate these are for today. Can I offer this purchase as a sacrifice to the Lord? Because I say, God, this is what I bought. Would any people pleased with that? I'm pretty sure he's pleased with Dr. Pepper and Baby Ruth. says, can I offer up this purchase as a sacrifice to the Lord? Like I said, you can paraphrase if you want to. Um, and the fourth one is, is, will God reward me for this expenditure at the resurrection of the just? We're kind of getting into the John Wesley language there, but will God reward me for this expenditure at the resurrection of the just? In other words, well, God said, I'm very pleased with how you spent your money while you're here that I entrusted you with. Just some questions to think about. I want to give you a chance if you had any questions or need me to go back over anything or any thoughts or anything. Yes, ma'am. Um, when you say not to buy a new car, and I understand that, but what do you do if you have no idea how to fix a car and you have no idea that how to make sure the car you're buying is the money? You know? Right, yeah, and that's a great question. Um, you can go to most, do you have a mechanic that you trust? No. Okay. Um, I know... I got you. Yeah. So, um, well, and, and that's one area that we may um, need to grow as a church and because I just don't know all the church family. Brandon, are there some good, solid people that are kind of trustworthy, perhaps, in that department? Yeah, I've heard great things about him at Stringer Chevron. Yeah. And I have another friend who goes by, yeah, which scares me. No offense to varieties, but that scares me. If you've eaten there, let me know because it just kind of gives me heebie-jeebies that it's fried chicken, salad, and sushi and just kind of scares me. I could, and there's a giant chicken always out front trying to encourage you to come and that really scares me too. Um, so yeah, I've heard great things about him um, even, and from even someone else too. Um, and then I know some other Castro place. So, and I've heard other stories about 
to you, but you may know them. So I'm not trying to take away from them. I've heard um, varying stories there. Um, any other questions or thoughts? But yeah, that's the best thing to do is try to find somebody you trust to look. Yeah, and let them look at it and let them give you their opinion. And he may charge you, but understand it'd be better for him to charge you 20 bucks or so to look at it for you than for you to get messed up by somebody um, who doesn't know. Uh, Right, but understand. <laughs> but understand this is usually the payments that you make on that is not equal to the payments you're making in car. So even if you get, I mean, if you get a lemon, that's bad. And you can also get like a Carfax report on a car, which would be really good to do if you get a used car. So there's a thing called a Carfax report that will help you when you go to get a car. Those are great to get. Um, if you're getting it from a dealer, they should give you that for free. Um, and you can negotiate that in there. Just say, I won't buy the car unless you give me the car facts. And trust me, it doesn't cost them nothing to do. I mean, it costs, but not enough to lose your business over. They'll be happy to do it for you. Um, if they say they won't, just say, all right, and just walk away. And they'll, all of a sudden, they're able to do it. It'll be a miracle right there for you. Anything else good related to the? Okay, okay. So any other questions, thoughts, comments? Everybody understand the um, those baby steps? So... Everybody willing to apply those baby steps? So, because you think, you know, there's not a lot of people here. That doesn't seem like a very large group and stuff like that. But if y'all do it, it's amazing the impact it will make on other people. And they might think you're weird for a while, but when they start seeing the results of what you're doing, they won't think you're weird anymore. It's amazing how that works. So they only think you're weird. And it's like you said, you know, it's like, um, you know, if people are making fun of your plan to get out of debt, then you're probably doing something right especially the broke people that are around you. So, you know, just keep that in mind. And they may not look broke, but if they're making fun of your plan, they probably are broke. Because I understand this as well. I used to tell students about sin and not want to say that, well, I guess in some ways it is, but that feels kind of harsh. Um, but I understand that if you're living your life in such a way that makes me feel bad about how I'm living my life, I'm probably going to make you try to make you feel bad about that. It just seems to be human nature because if you're showing me a better way than what I'm doing in an area that I don't want to be convicted about, then I'm probably going to try to call you out on it and make you feel bad for it because then if you feel bad for it and I'm this way, then you're no better than me when we get to the end and it's not that big of a deal anymore, right? And so it's kind of how we justify our sins and stuff like that. Any other questions? Um, I'll be here. Understand that I'm not a money manager and so anything tax or anything like that that you want to deal with, talk to that person. Okay, sweet. So we have change available for you as well. Any other questions before you go? You can talk to me. Um, I'll let me let you know about one thing that you can start saving up for now because it'd be really awesome if you all participated in the fall. I don't know for sure where we'll be, but we'll definitely be somewhere. Um, in the fall, we're doing FPU, which is Financial Peace University. Um, it is 13 weeks long. It takes about two hours to do at night. And the cost is about a hundred bucks. But by the time that you're done with it, one, you, the average person at the end of the 13 weeks has put aside, has paid off 
Um, it's like over $3,500 and put away, which I don't understand how this works if you're working on your debt snowball, but that's not here nor there, but it has about $2,500 in savings. So you're spending $100 to make over $5,000 work for you instead of for your credit card company or somebody else. So understand, because like I told you about money when we began, if you don't pay anything about where your money's going, you tend to not pay attention to it. And that program will definitely, definitely help you. Um, you get tons of resources with it. If you've been through it in the past, if you're like, oh, I've been through it, FPU. Material is fairly new. It's only about two years old. You can buy a book for 20 bucks and go through it again. Once you go through it once, you're a lifetime member. So you can come back and go through it again all you want. So that 100 bucks also pays for that for you. And if they switch up curriculum for you, then you can just buy the workbook for 20 bucks and you're good. So understand that once you go through it, you can come back for a refresher because a lot of times people get about halfway through their debt snowball and kind of need a refresher just to get re-motivated to go through it. But let me pray for you and we'll be done. Father God, I thank you so much for everyone that is here tonight. Lord, I pray um, more so than just spending two hours talking about money that they would go out and they would apply these principles, that they would read the book, um, that they would see the myths that they've talked about and how um, they prevent us from living life to its fullest and that they would honor you um, with their lives and that they would allow you to make a difference in their finances and in their lives and that they'd stop allowing money to compete with you but they would honor you with the money that they that you've given them and that they would that they would be able to show other people a better way and then we pray amen